Would you take your Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter number 4. Keeping your heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, one verse, verse 23. God says in his word, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our heart. The Bible says, as a man is in his heart, thinketh in his heart so is he. Our heart is what dictates who and what we are, what we're about, what we do, what we stand for or don't stand for. Our heart is so vitally important. The word issues that we see in verse 23 is defined by strongs in the strongest term. It talks about boundaries in your life. It talks about the out goings of your life. It has, the, it has the meaning of causing someone to have a central focus on something that is vitally important. We've often heard the phrase, that is the heart of the matter. What that simply means is that there isn't anything that is more important than that thing that someone is speaking about. The heart is in reference to the very emotional seat of an individual. It is your heart where your feelings are. It is your heart that controls your will. It is your heart that even in, in, in large part is controlling the intellect of an individual. Your heart is that vital. You know, in, in the medical world, we focus on, in health, primarily on keeping the heart healthy. Uh, there's a reason for that. The reason still is, and has been for many decades, that <clears throat> most people die from heart issues than anything else that will take their life. But the same is true spiritually. If the heart isn't right, then nothing else is going to be right. God always begins with the heart. When you got saved, the Bible says, and with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's, that's how we got saved. Uh, it wasn't head knowledge. And if it was, then you're not saved. But if it was the heart, then you truly have come to the Savior. The heart always comes first. The heart is it, whether it's a physical thing or whether it's a spiritual thing. And we see the very first word in this verse, keep, which tells us that there's a personal responsibility on our part. We can't push that off onto someone else. The verse speaks to me. It says to Gary, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of, and I could I could put in there for my benefit of your life. So we have a personal responsibility. All excuses are removed. Whatever the product of your heart is, is what you've allowed. And so we see that phrase in the very beginning, 
Keep thy heart. This isn't optional. This isn't, well, listen, I'll think about this and I'll ponder over this and I'll pray about this and, and see if this applies to me. No, it applies to every single person in this room. There's not a person in this room that this verse doesn't directly apply to. And so guarding our heart or keeping our heart is the most important thing that you and I can do, that you and I can be engaged in. If we were in armed warfare, the most important thing for a soldier who's engaged in battle to protect is his chest area. That's why we see in law enforcement uh, and in also in, in uh, armed forces, they wear armor protection. They wear protection to protect this part of their physical body. Not that other parts aren't important, but you can be, you can be assaulted or you can be wounded in some other part of your body short of your head. You could be wounded in your legs or wounded in your arms, and you may very well in all likelihood survive that if medical attention, of course, is right there. But if, if something were to take out your heart, you're done. You're done. You know, in the Christian realm, that's true too. I believe that one of the greatest neglects in the Christian life is the neglect of understanding that, Christian, we're in a spiritual battle. We exist on a spiritual battleground. Uh, this battleground is every bit as intense as, as other physical battles that have taken place. And, and we seem to neglect that. We seem to think that somehow we are picnicking our way to glory. Or somehow we're just floating to Jesus on some pillowy clouds of ease. It's not the truth. Spiritual battle is very, very real. Very real. And uh, that's why I believe there are many Christian casualties because spiritually they ignore their heart. Their heart becomes vulnerable. David said in Psalm 112, verse 7, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting the Lord. His heart is fixed, trusting the Lord. Guarding or keeping our heart is the main thing, Christian. And it will require your greatest effort as a Christian. It is not something that can be come into, that you can come into lightly. It is of major importance. Think about the things that we try to keep secure, that we try to protect. Think about how we protect our homes. Many of you probably have some kind of security alarm. Or, or now the, uh, the, it seems it's popular to have uh, these doorbell cameras or various different things. I'm, Betty and I are even considering that for our own home. But you have locks. You have, you have deadbolts on top of your handle locks. And you have security lights. Uh, 
we have four lights outside of our five, actually five lights outside of our house, and those are lit all the time. They, they never go off. I never shut them off. When the, when the LED bulb burns out, another LED bulb goes in. And I just leave them there because, because evil is going to shy away from light. And I know that, and I want to keep the place secure as I can be. We do all this to protect our home, even, even to the place where some, I'm sure in uh, Elmwood Baptist Church, I'm, I'm positive of this, uh, they, they own a firearm, maybe own several firearms. And why? Uh, so that they can feel like they can be uh, typecast into the next John Wayne movie? No. No, they, they have those for the protection of themselves and their family. That's what it's all about. And so we do all of that for our homes, for our loved ones, for ourselves, but many Christians ignore their heart. They ignore the things that affect their heart. And too many Christians are trying to live their life with very little effort going into their Christian walk. When the Word of God tells us that we are to keep our heart with all diligence. In other words, it, it speaks of a requirement of great spiritual energy to be able to keep our heart right. Unfortunately, there are, there are Christians caught up in any number of things, and their heart has taken them away, really, from the Lord in bitterness, in unforgiveness, in lusts, as Dr. Coomer often says, we've identified uh, 82 specific lusts in the Word of God, any one of which, or any multiple of such, that could be in a Christian's life, and will be if we don't be diligent to keep our heart. And so that is the admonition, isn't it? God wants us in... Proverbs 24, verse, chapter 4, verse 23, to keep our heart with all diligence. He's not going to do that for us. He requires us to do that. And of course, he empowers us, Christian, to be able to do what he's commanded us to do. And the success of your Christian life and my Christian life, it depends on us following these four Areas, these four principles that we see in Proverbs chapter 4 that God gives to us. And by the way, if God gives it to us, then God will also empower us to be able to do that, to be able to make that decision, to keep our heart with all diligence. And God will enable us to be able to be victorious over those things that want to take our heart away. So it begins with number one, Keeping your mouth. Keep keeping your mouth. Look at verse 24 again. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. The word froward that you see in verse 24 has to do with that which is bad. Just, just bad. It speaks 
of a, of a mouth that is uncontrollable, that is dirty, that is foul. Your mouth will affect your heart. What comes out of your mouth, the Bible says, is evident of what's already in your heart. For from the heart the mouth speaketh. From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So if tonight you look at yourself and, and you say, man, the Holy Spirit of God has already got my number. I end up, I end up using language that is foul and wrong. Evil speech is a sure indicator that there is something wrong with your heart. Something's wrong there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications. A froward mouth. Cussing. Swearing, however it's called. That is going to affect your heart. And many people can control their speech when it's in their best interest to do that. When I was in college, I, I worked at a Super 8. And because the, the folks at the, uh, that were employed there, because they knew that I was studying for the ministry, whenever I was in their presence and they would, they would let loose with some kind of foul language, they'd immediately go, oh, Gary, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and pretty soon it got to the place where whenever I was around, all the conversation was cleaned up pretty good. I didn't have to say anything to them. They just knew who I was, and they knew that none of that came out of me. And so it convicted them. Sometimes we can control it when it's in our best interest to do that. A foul-mouthed man can... Can, can present himself in a different light if his boss frowns on his filthy mouth. James says, however, that the tongue can no, no man tame. It can't tame the tongue. God's the only one that can fix that problem. Pastor Dion tells the story about how that as a young Christian, uh, when he was in the Navy... He had a problem with his mouth. He had a cussing mouth. And so he finally got to the place, and he said one night above deck, away from everyone else on the ship, he just cried out to God out loud and said, God, I give up. I can't, I can't clean up my mouth. I need to have you clean up my mouth. I want a clean mouth. And he says that from that point on, he didn't have a problem with cussing anymore. You know, if our heart desires really doing what God wants us to do, then God will enable us to have that way of escape. Well, the same thing was in my story of drugs. When I, I, I wanted to quit a hundred times, but when I finally got to the place where God, I, I can't do this and you've got to do this. And when I threw all that drugs in the garbage, then God delivered me. You see, when you want it bad enough, 
you're going to get down to serious business with God. James is right. That tongue is a hard thing to fix. We get frustrated, especially we men. We can get frustrated, and if we're not guarding our heart, not keeping our heart, all of a sudden something from the dark past can slip past our tongue. And you know, we need to do our very best to keep our hearts so that our mouth is kept to the praises of God. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. In that same chapter of Proverbs, chapter 6 verse 12, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. I, I worked in the construction industry and around those who operated heavy equipment. I was involved in their, in, in their circles. And there wasn't a day. And so I know what some of you men go through. And no doubt some of you ladies. There wasn't a day when I wasn't inundated from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the evening with filthy language. Filthy language. And I'll be the first to admit, there was a couple times when, as a Christian, I didn't handle it properly. I, I believed early on as a baby Christian with a, a, a tremendous amount of zeal and very little knowledge, I thought maybe I could muscle people into Christianity. I thought maybe I could intimidate them into receiving Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, I thought maybe that I could stop their perverse mouth by getting in their face and saying, don't damn my God ever again. But that didn't work. That didn't work, just like anything in the flesh doesn't work spiritually. What I had to be is just an example of a believer. And I've tried to pray that over all these years. God help me to be an example of the believer. And I think, Christian, that's a prayer that you and I ought to pray. Because our, our dead and dying sin-scarred world out here is, is, is in great need of people who will genuinely walk as a Christian. Genuinely. And by the way, those on the job that know that you're a genuine Christian and you're not trying to, you're not trying to, to, to flaunt it over somebody and you're not acting like a hypocrite, they'll respect you. They'll respect you for who and what you are. You will become what comes out of your mouth. So, please, you've got to keep your mouth. You've got to keep your mouth. In Matthew 12 and verse 34 and following, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man... Out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word. Every word's been written down. It's been marked down. It's not been missed. The world may not know it, but God knows it. 
Our mouth will damage our heart probably more than anything that I'm going to preach in this message. A dirty mouth and a clean heart cannot occupy the same body. It just can't. The greatest problems in most churches are a perverse tongue, loose talk. Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. 1 Timothy 5.13 brings it a little bit closer to home. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Every church... Every single church has some gossips in it, some tale-bearers. They can't, they can't seem to exist without that they have to share the last little tidbit of whatever it is they learned. Avoid them. Keep yourself out of trouble. Avoid them. Better yet, when somebody comes to you with the latest gossip, Tell them not to miss the golden opportunity to shut up. And you might just use that term because that will shock them maybe into a reality that exists in their life. So guard your heart. Keep that heart. And do that beginning with your mouth. Secondly, to keep your heart, you need to keep your eyes. Look at verse 25 tonight. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. What your eyes see will affect your heart. We know that, don't we? God says, keep your eyes straight ahead. What does that mean? Well, God is saying that a lot of temptations that Christians face in their life are brought about by their wandering eyes looking for something that can tantalize. According to 1 John 2 and verse 16, if the eyes are controlled, then you will eliminate one-third of all temptations that could come to your life. The Bible tells us in that passage, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. If we can eliminate the lust of the eyes, then we've eliminated one-third of our enemy's arsenal. In Psalm 81, 12, so gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels, the Bible says. Where does the heart lust come from? It comes from the eyes. Matthew 5, verse 28. The downfall of so many men. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I think men need to pay attention to that passage. But I think women today need to pay attention to that passage as well. You can be a stumbling block to a man. Uh, listen, ladies, 
It's difficult for a man to stay true to his own principles given in God's word when women dress so provocatively today. I don't know where in the world all these skin-tight tights or whatever they're called, leggings or whatever they are, but they came straight from the pit of hell, ladies. Take it from your pastor. There isn't anything modest about those things. I have unfortunately seen women walking with those things on, and it absolutely leaves nothing to the imagination. I've told Betty sarcastically, she may as well just take off all her clothes and just walk through the store. She wouldn't be any more ungodly than what she is right there. And sad as it is that that goes on, but then you see the mom is that way, and then you see all the kids are that way too. God help us. Modesty is in the Bible. Modesty is in the Bible. It could be a great, great help to men who, and, and I'll tell you something, men are wound differently than women. Men are enticed by looking. Women are less enticed by looking than they are about the touch. How many men have fallen over Matthew 5, 28? How many men need to confess to God, forgive me for adultery against my wife? God didn't say that it's like adultery. He said that that man has committed adultery. That's dangerous. What are your eyes looking at? Whatever your eyes look at is what your heart wants. And so we allow our eyes, don't we, to run freely without control. And that is the most dangerous thing that we can do. We teach the little kids, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And goes down through all the hands and the feet and all of that. And we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because the eyes are so important. They're so important. They're the most influential part of our human senses, our eyes. Most, uh, uh, scientists say most of your memory is formed by your eyes. You remember 80% of what you see, only 11% of what you hear. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Adam was right there when the transgression was done. A husband who will not say to his wife, wait a minute, we're not going that way. Is a husband that is derelict of his high priest responsibilities in his home. We need some men today. We need men that'll wake up and take their wives' pants away and put his pants back on. We need to have men today that are going to 
stand up and say, wait a minute, I'm the one who's going to have to answer for this home, and as long as I have to answer for it, I'm going to have the final word in it too. Not a dictator, not Ogar the caveman, here lend me your hair while I drag you through life. No, no, because God says if you don't, uh, if you don't dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the weaker vessel, God calls them a weaker vessel, giving honor unto the weaker vessel. God says if you don't do that, your prayer life is over with. Your prayer life is hindered. You will not hear, God will not hear your prayers, gentlemen. But listen, we've got a problem in Christianity where men are not taking their spiritual role. Everyone in the family has got a role in God's word. We need to, we need to make sure that we're conducting business, spiritual business, properly in our homes and our families. Adam should have said something to Eve, and you know it, you just read it. He knew, by the way, she knew. But he could have said, wait a minute, honey, we don't eat that fruit. And he didn't. And there's a lot of men that are completely derelict of their spiritual responsibilities in their homes. And wives, you need to be cognizant of that. You don't do your husband any benefit by taking his role upon yourself. You need to keep your eyes. You need to guard your heart and keep your heart by keeping your mouth and keeping your eyes. And number three, by keeping your walk. Look with me at Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. God says, you know, there's a planned walk here. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Now stop and think about it. Where do your feet take you? Where do your feet take you that possibly God doesn't want you taken? A planned walk is going to ponder where the feet are going. Where your feet go is going to cause your heart to have a direct response. You don't just turn your feet loose to go wherever your feet want to take you. Ponder means that we choose something. We're thinking about that. We're thinking about where we're going to go and why we're going to go there. We don't make quick, rash decisions. At least we shouldn't. And I'm here to tell you I'm a living example of, of, of decisions that oftentimes have been made that I wish I could have taken back. Why? Because they were made in a rash way. Before you get married or before you buy a home or before you make any major acquisition in your life, you ought to ponder that first. I had a professor in college that said, make a list of the things that you desire. Write it out on a list. Put it on the refrigerator. And don't purchase one thing for six months. At the end of six months, come back to the list and see how many of those things you even need. That was wise. That was wise. You ought to seek godly advice. And when you seek godly advice, you ought to follow godly advice. 
Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. There's two prevailing attitudes that I've picked up on in my nearly 40 years in the ministry. They, they, they are sad dilemmas in the lives of many, many, many Christians. Number one, they, they come to me or they come to another preacher pretending to want counsel when the truth of the matter is they've already made up their minds about what it is they're going to do. They pretend to come and want to have advice, but they've already set in motion what they're going to do. Number two, they have no desire for spiritual counsel altogether. And why? Because they're afraid of what the preacher may say. Truth of the matter is, what the preacher may say, if it's out of the Bible, it's exactly what you need to hear. And so we need to, we need to have a we need to have a pondered walk, a walk that we think about. Where in the world is where in the world am I going? We need to have a protected walk, keeping our walk. Remove thy foot from evil. So we need to be careful who it is we're walking with. You know, my old crowd would not be a good crowd to walk with. And I knew that. And I wasn't saved very long before I did know that. And I will admit to you that I was scared to death to come out. And I was scared of death to come out. But I knew I couldn't stay in either. And so be careful who you walk with. Amos 3 and verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer to that question is no, they cannot. Remember Abraham and Lot? On the fateful day that they split up because, uh, because their herdsmen were squabbling over pasture land, both men made a choice. In Genesis 13, 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Lot pitched his tent. That was an action. That was where his feet were taking him. In Genesis 13, 18, then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Two things there. He got away from Sodom as far as he could get. And when he got to where he needed to be, he built an altar. Christian, you need to be careful where your feet take you. But let me ask you this. Do you have an altar in your life? Do you have an altar in your life? Do you have a place where you meet God? And if you don't, then get one. Get a place where you meet God. It's called the altar. There, in a nutshell, you see the difference between Abraham and Lot, don't you? Lot's feet took him for a walk into the city of sin. And by the way, it destroyed his whole family. Abraham's feet took him for a walk far away from temptation. 
Listen, I served in a church where the associate pastor emeritus had a, had a, a soul-winning routine that he did. And it was notorious throughout the community of Redding, California. And what he did was he would take a pile of gospel tracts and he would go into every bar in downtown Reading. Now that sounds like something that old Peter Cartwright would have done. It sounds like something that maybe would have done in times of old, but the more I pondered that, the more I thought that would be the last thing that God would want me to do. Because a good, a good portion of my life I spent in those places. To go back in, to allow my feet to walk me back into that would have been destructive. I won't fault the bravery of Pastor Post who went into these places and would go around the bar from patron to patron and hand them a gospel tract and say, read this, God wants to speak to you. I, 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 don't, I don't fault him for that, but I thought about, oh, man, can, can, my, can, my, uh, can my feet take me to those places? And the answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. And you know, for a lot of Christians, the answer would be absolutely not. Be careful where you're going. And lastly, you need to keep your ears. In chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. On the other hand, the ears hear things at times that they should not hear. The Lord Jesus, as I mentioned this morning, often said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. He was talking about hearing spiritual truth. And there's a lot of people who do not want spiritual truth, and so though they can hear someone saying something, they're not receptive to it. If we're to keep our heart with all diligence, then we need to understand that there are things that our ears should not hear. And some of the things that honestly our ears hear are just, are just boiled in, keeping our mouth and keeping our walk. Our ears would be well protected if we weren't in those places where our ears could get assaulted. I never heard a message on the right kind of godly music. I was a rock and roll musician. I performed in six different rock and roll bands. I, I knew a little bit about rock and roll music. It was my living for a while. But let me, let me say this to you. I didn't have to hear a message on what was godly music and what was ungodly. I didn't have to hear one message on that. 
Because I had the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. And because of that, I was able to address the issue of godless music on my own. And when it came to understanding this isn't right, I loaded up thousands of albums and took them to the city landfill. And God blessed me for it. And I raised my daughter differently. And I pointed out the difference. One of the, one of the most... One of the most detrimental things that happens to me, Christian, because of where I came from and concerning keeping my ears, is when I go into some of these places, uh, malls and, 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 and such, sometimes uh, restaurants, and if they're playing music from the 60s and the 70s, I'm in a place where I probably shouldn't be even if it's a good place to eat, or even if we're there shopping. What I found out is this, is that after all these years, when songs that I'm very familiar with in times gone by, even though I've been away from that for decades, all of a sudden I'll hear that song, and all of a sudden, I will know every single word to that song. That's not the Holy Spirit of God bringing that back. That's Satan assaulting my ears to make me listen to something I ought not to be listening to. God says, I want you to keep your heart that means you need to keep your mouth. Keep your eyes. Keep your walk. Keep your ears godly. Godly. And if you fall, and Christian, we're not perfect, and so there will be those times of failure. But don't let it be a life of Immediately confess it to the Lord. Fall upon him for not only confession and cleansing, but for strength to resist. My life's verse became 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's therefore now no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not tempt you or allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. But will with the temptation, temptation's not sin, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The key, the key to that verse is, do you want to escape? Father in heaven, I pray tonight that, Lord, you would bless your word to us in such a way even now, before we come to the Lord's table, that, Lord, we will assess our own life.
And though Christians many times will look at these four things and say, well, I don't intend, I, it's not intentional what I'm trying to, what I'm doing or what I find myself in. And I understand. But Lord, I also understand that we have to be diligent about keeping our heart. And if we don't, if we're always making excuses, our heart is going to end up worthless. And we're not going to help anyone. As a matter of fact, we're going to be a hurt and a stumbling block to others, maybe even in our own family. I pray tonight, Father, that we'll be honest enough with ourselves to say, oh God, all these things that you say in your word will keep my heart. And Father, I see that there are some areas where I need your help. And oh, Christian, may I just say, humility is something that God can bless. And so Lord, as I continue in this invitation. I pray that, Father, you would speak to every heart. Speak to us where we're at. And Father, I pray that we would be humble. Help us now.